Peter Pan is a young boy who never grows up. But that's okay, because he doesn't want to. Follow his adventures with Wendy and her brothers as they are flown away to other lands and meet fairies and the like. You might think that you already know this story, but you probably don't. Follow us as we journey into the original Peter Pan and see what the wonderful story of life is like. Chapter 1. Peter Breaks Through All the children, except for one, grow up. They soon know that they'll grow up, and the way that Wendy knew was this. One day, when she was still two years old, she was playing in the garden, and she plucked another flower and ran with it to her mother. I suppose that she must have looked rather delightful, for Miss Darling put her hand to her heart and cried, Oh, why can't you remain like this forever? This was all that passed between them on the subject, but henceforth Wendy knew that she must grow up. You always know after you're two. Two is the beginning of the end. Of course, they lived at 14. Their house number on the street. And until Wendy came, her mother was the chief one. She was a lovely lady with a romantic mind and such a sweet mocking mouth. Her romantic mind was like tiny boxes, one within the other, that come from the puzzling ink. However many you discover, there's always one more. And the sweet mocking mouth had one kiss on it. That Wendy could never get through there. It was perfectly conspicuous on the right-hand corner. The way that Mr. Darling won her was this. The many gentlemen who had been boys when she was all a girl discovered simultaneously that they loved her, and they all ran to her house to propose to her, except Mr. Darling who took a cab and nipped it first. So he got her. He got all of her, except for the innermost box and the kiss. He never knew about this box, and in time he gave up trying for the kiss. Wendy thought Napoleon could have got it, but I can picture him trying and then going off in a passion slamming the door. Mr. Darling used to boast to Wendy that her mother not only loved him, but respected him. He was one of those deep ones who knew about stocks and shares. Of course, no one really knows, but he seemed quite to know, and he often said that stocks were up and shares were down in a way that would have made any woman respect him. Miss Darling was married in white, and at first she kept the books perfectly, almost gleefully, as if it was a game. Not so much as the Brussels sprout was missing, but by and by, the whole cauliflower dropped out. And instead of them, there was pictures of babies who drew them when she should have been totaling up. They were Mr. Darling's guests. Wendy came first, then John, then Michael. For a week or two after Wendy came, it was doubtful whether they would be able to keep her, as she was another mouse to feed. Mr. Darling was frightfully proud of her, but he was very honorable, and he sat on the edge of Miss Darling's bed, holding her hand and calculating expenses. Well, she looked at him imploringly. She wanted to risk it, come what might, but that wasn't his way. His way was with a pencil and a piece of paper, and if he confused him with suggestions, he had to begin at the beginning again. Now don't interrupt, he would beg of her. I have one pound seventeen. Look at and two and six at the office. I can cut my coffee at the office, say ten shillings, making two, nine, and six, with your eighteen and three, make three, nine, seven. With five, not, not, my checking book makes eight, nine, seven. Who is that moving? Eight, nine, seven, dot, and carry seven, don't speak, my own, and the pound you lent to the man who came to the door. Quiet, child. Don't carry, child, there, you've done it. Did I say nine, nine, seven? Yes, I said nine, nine, seven. The question is, can we try it for a year on nine, nine, seven? Of course we can, George, she cried. He was prejudiced in Wendy's favor, and he really was the grand... Remember, Mums, he warned her almost threateningly, and off he went again. Mums, one pound, this is what I have put down by. Dare say I'll be more like thirty shillings. Don't speak. Measles, one five. German measles, half a guinea, makes two fifteen six. Don't waggle your finger. Whooping cough, say fifteen shillings, and on and on it went. And it added up differently every single time. But at last, Wendy just got through, with Mums reduced to twelve six, and the two kinds of measles treated as one. 
There was the same excitement over John, and Michael had an even narrower squeak, but both were kept, and soon you might have seen the three of them going in a row to Miss Folsom's kindergarten school, accompanied by their nurse. Mrs. Darling loved to have everything just so, and Mr. Darling had a passion for being exactly like the neighbors, so of course they had a nurse. As they were poor, owing to the amount of milk that the children drank, the nurse was a prim Newfoundland dog called Nana, who had belonged to no one in particular until the Darlings engaged her. She always thought children important, however, and the Darlings had become acquainted with her in the Kinskin Garden, where she spent most of her time peeping into flowers, and was much hated by careless nursemaids, whom she followed to their houses and complained to their mistresses. She proved to be quite a treasure of a nurse. How thorough she was at bath time, and up at any moment of the night if one of her charges made the slightest cry. Of course, her kennel was in the nursery. She had a genius for knowing when a cough is a thing to have no patience with, and when it needs stocking around your throat. She believed to her last day in old-fashioned remedies like rhubarb leaf, and made sounds of contempt over all this newfangled talk about germs, and so on and so forth. It was a lesson in propriety to see her escorting the children to school, walking sedately by their sides when they were well-behaved, and butting them back into line if they strayed. On John's footer. In England, soccer was called football. Footer for short. Day she never once forgot his sweater, and she usually carried an umbrella in her mouth in case of rain. There is a room in the basement of Miss Folsom's school where the nurses wait. They sit on forms and Nana lays on the floor, but that was the only difference. They affected to ignore her as of an inferior social status to themselves, and she despised their light talk. She resented visits to the nursery from Miss Darling's friends, but if they did come, she first whipped off Michael's pinafore and put him in the one with the blue braiding and smoothed out Wendy, and then made a mad dash at John's hair. No nursery could possibly have been conducted more correctly, and Mr. Darling knew it, yet sometimes he wondered uneasily whether the neighbors talked. He had his position in the city to consider. Nana also troubled him in another way. He sometimes had the feeling that she did not admire him. She admires you tremendously, George. Miss Darling would assure him, and then she would sign to the children to be especially nice to the fathers. Lovely dances followed, in which the only other servant, Liza, who was sometimes allowed to join, such a midget she looked in her long skirt and maid's cap, even though she'd sworn when engaged that she would never see Tin again. The gaiety of those romps, and gayest of all was Miss... Stop moving, you're making noises. And gayest of all was Miss Darling, who would period so widely that all you could see was her tits. And then, if you had dashed at her, you might have got in. There never was a simpler, happier family until the coming of Peter Pan. Miss Darling first heard of Miss Darling first heard of Peter when she was tidying up the children's minds. It is the nightly custom of every good mother, after her children are asleep, to rummage in their minds and put things straight for the next morning repacking into their proper places the many articles that have wandered during the day. If you could keep awake, I of course keep awake. You would see your own mother doing this, and you would find it very interesting to watch her. It's quite like her tidying up drawers. You would see her on her knees, I expect, lingering humorously over some of your contents, wondering where on earth you'd pick this thing up, making discoveries sweet and not so sweet, pressing this to her cheek as if it was nice as a kitten, and then hurriedly stowing that out of sight. When you wake in the morning, the naughtiness and evil passions with which you went to bed have been folded up small and placed at the bottom of your mind, and on top, beautifully aired, are spread out your prettier thoughts, ready for you to put on. 
I don't know whether or not you've ever seen a map of a person's mind. Doctors sometimes draw maps of other parts of you too, and your own map can be intensely interesting. But catch them trying to draw a map of a child's mind, which is not only confused, but keeps going around all the time. There is zigzag lines on it, just like your temperature on a cart, and there are probably roads in the island, for the Neverlands is always more or less an island. With an astonishing splash of color here and there, and coral reefs, and rakish looking crafts in the offing, and savages with lonely layers and gnomes which are mostly tailors, and caves through which a river runs, and princes with six older brothers, and a hut fast going to decay, and one very small old lady with a hook and mouth. It would be an easy map if that were all, but there's always the first day at school, religions, fathers, the round pond, needlework, murderers, verbs, chocolate pudding day, getting into braces, say 99, three pence for pulling the tooth out yourself, and so on, and either there as parts of the island, or there's another map shining through, and it's all very confusing, especially as nothing is found filled. Of course, the Neverlands vary a good deal. John's, for instance, had a lagoon with flamingos flying over it, which John was shooting. While Michael, who was very small, had a flamingo with lagoons flying over it. John lived in a boat turned upside down on the sands, while Michael lived in a wigwam, windy in a house of leaves, deftly sewn together. John had no friends, Michael only had friends at night, and Wendy had a pet wolf forsaken by its parents, but on the whole, the Neverlands have a family resemblance, and if they stood still in a row, you could say of them that they have each other's nose, and so forth. On these magic shores, children at play are forever bleaching their coracles. A simple boat. A simple boat. We too have been there. We can hear the sound of the surf, though we shall land no more. Of all the delectable islands, the Neverland is nothing. And the most compact, not large and sprawly, you know. With tedious distances between one another and another and another, but nicely crammed. When you play at it by day with the chairs and the tablecloths, it's not in the least alarming. But in the two minutes before you go to sleep, it becomes very real. That's why there's nightlights. Occasionally, in her travels through the children's minds, Miss Starling found things that she could not understand. And of these, quite the most perplexing was the word Peter. She knew of no Peter, and yet he was here and there in John and Michael's minds, while Wendy began scrawled all over with them. The names stood out in bolder letters than any of the other words, and as Miss Darling gazed, she, and as Miss Darling gazed, she found that it had an oddly cocky appearance. Yes, he is rather cocky. Wendy admitted with regret, but but who isn't my pet? He is Peter Pan, you know, Mother. At first, Miss Darling did not know, but after thinking back into her childhood, she just remembered a Peter Pan who was said to live with the fairies. There was odd stories about him, as the there were odd stories about him, as that when the children died, as that when the children died, he went part of the way with them so that they should not be frightened. She'd believed in him at a time, but now that she was married and full of sense, she quite doubted whether there was any such person. Besides, she said to Wendy, he would be grown up by this time. But he isn't grown up, Wendy assured her confidently. And he is just my size. She meant that he was her size in both mind and body. Miss Darling consulted Mr. Darling, but he smiled. Pew, pew. Mark my words, he said. Just some nonsense Nana has been putting in their head. Just the sort of an idea a dog would have. Leave it alone, it'll blow over. But it would not blow over, and soon the troublesome boy gave Miss Darling quite the shock. Children have the strangest adventures without being troubled by them. For instance, they may remember to mention a week after the event happened that when they were in the woods they'd met their dead father and had a game with them. It was in this casual way that Wendy one morning made quite a disquieting revelation. 
Some leaves of a tree had been found on the nursery floor, which certainly were not there when the children went to bed, and Miss Darling was puzzling over them when Wendy said with a tolerant smile, I do believe it's Pluto again. Whatever do you mean? It is so naughty of him not to wipe his feet, Wendy said, sighing. She was a very tidy child. She explained in quite a matter-of-fact way that she thought Peter sometimes came in the nursery in the night and sat on the foot of her bed and played the pipes to her. Unfortunately, she never woke, and she didn't know just how she knew. What a nonsense you talk, Precious. He can get into the house without knocking. I think he comes in by the window, she said. Uh, it is three floors up. Um, were not leaves on the floor in the window, Mother? It was quite true. The leaves had been found very near the window. Miss Darling did not know what to think, for it all seemed so natural to Wendy that she, you could not dismiss it by saying that she'd been dreaming. My child, the mother cried. Why did you not tell me of this before? I forgot, said Wendy lightly. She was in a hurry to get breakfast. Oh, surely she must have been dreaming. But on the other hand, there were the leaves. Miss Darling examined them very carefully. They were silicon leaves, but she was sure they did not come from any tree that grew in England. She crawled about the floor, peering at it with a candle. Don't make noises. She crawled about the floor, peering at it with a candle for marks of a strange foot. She rattled the poker up the chimney and tapped the walls. She let down a tape from the window to the pavement, and it was a sheer drop of thirty feet without so much as a spout to climb up by. Wendy must have been dreaming. But Wendy had not been dreaming, as the very next night showed, the night on which the extraordinary adventures of these children may be said to have begun. On the night that we speak of, the children were once more in bed. It happened to be Nana's evening off, and Miss Darling had bathed them and sung them to sleep till one by one they had let go of her hand and slid away in the land of sleep. All were looking so safe and cozy that she smiled at her fears now and sat down tranquilly by the fire to sew. It was something for Michael, who on his birthday was getting two shirts. The fire was warm, however, and the nursery dimly lit by three night lights, and presently the sewing lay on Miss Darling's lap. Then her head nodded, oh, so gracefully. He was asleep. Look at the four of them. Wendy and Michael over there, John here, and Miss Darling by the fire. There should have been a fourth. There should have been a fourth night light. While she slept, she had a dream. She dreamt that the Neverland had come too near and that a strange boy had broken through from it. He did not alarm her, for she thought that she'd seen him before in the faces of many women who have no children. Perhaps he is to be found in the faces of some others also. But in her dream, he had rent the film that obscures the Neverland, and she saw Wendy and John and Michael peeping through the gap. The dream by itself would have been a trifle, but when she was dreaming, the window of the nursery blew open, and a boy dropped on the floor. He was accompanied by a strange light, no bigger than your fist, which he darted about the room like a living thing, and I think it must have been the light that waked Mrs. Darling. She started up with a cry and saw the boy, and somehow she knew at once that it was Peter Pan. If you or I or Wendy had been there, we should have seen that he was very like Miss Darling's kiss. He was a lovely boy, clad in skeleton leaves, and the juices that ooze out of trees, but the most entrancing thing about him was that he had all his first teeth. When he saw that she was a grow-up, he gnashed his little pearls at her. Thank you for listening to Story Girl. My name is Luke Kaplan. And mine is Alyssa Kaplan. We hope that you enjoyed this production. You've been listening to Peter Pan by J.M. Bari. 
Narrated by Luke and Melissa Castle, produced by Luke Castle, copyright 2019, Storyjoy Podcast. Subscribe if you've not already, because we're on all your favorite podcasting apps. We'll be releasing a new chapter of Peter Pan every single Monday. Thanks for listening.